Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave the Dog Trainer podcast, episode one fifty three. And today we're filming a podcast, obviously. <laughs> and I <clears throat> felt like the other day I was like, I'm so ready for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was like as prepared as you possibly can be. Yeah. And we went to come up here and start recording. And for whatever reason, I just had a temporary moment of. I don't think I'm as prepared as I think that I actually am. <laughs> so I've got some stuff to talk about. And yeah. I've got some stuff to go over. But we're going to be kind of uh, uh, organically flowing through the conversation, if you will. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it is. Like literally up until I sat in this chair, I was like, yeah, yeah I'm ready. And then I sat up there. I'm like, am I ready? Am I ready? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure if I am, yeah. in fact, ready. Well, you know, we... The last podcast, which is coming out today for everybody, it, it was a very uh, draining podcast. It was a lot of information mm. to take in, you know, with mm. Dr. Melanie. Doc. Yeah, the doc was on. What did you think of that one? I loved it. I, it was just like I was too enthralled in the conversation to like kind of even, I mean, you know, I tried to put my little two cents in, but it's just like when we talk to somebody, especially with like credentials like that, I'm just like. I'm going to let you just, you, you take the helm, you know? Got to just let it rock and roll. Yeah. You know? But it, it was really cool. And it was, it was nice to like hear her perspective on kind of the same feelings that we have on things. Sure. But, you know, it's like she's in the neuroscience, you know, area. Yeah. So it was, it was cool to, to have a lot of agreeing um, outlooks on things. Did yeah. you... How about you? Did you feel like there was anything that maybe she said that you were like, eh, or were you pretty much in agreement with everything? No, I think it was good. I think uh, the the interesting thing is it was almost like uh, some of the areas of the conversation felt almost like when we watched some of the videos and we're mm-hmm. doing some of our own research, which was just like continuing to reassure that like, we're just speculating on all of this, yeah. you know? And, and obviously in her case, like speculation with, with much more knowledge, right? Um, yes, <laughs> which was good. Uh, I liked, I yeah, I thought I thought there was a lot of similarities. I thought it was a good conversation, and I think really, you know, as we approached the end of the conversation, um, I I listened back to the whole thing. I don't generally listen back to the podcast, but that one in particular, I listened back to the whole thing because I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything from it. Mm. Um, and the whole last half of the conversation, I think, was was really really good. So. If you guys haven't listened to it already, definitely go and listen to uh, podcast one fifty two because I think it was, re- I think it was it was a really interesting uh, interesting conversation for sure. Yeah, and it makes me just want to have more like people like that on, you know, just experts in certain things that we have yeah. the burning questions for, you know. Yeah, and like I, I think it's going to pop off. Perspectives on things. Yeah, yeah, but um, speaking of popping off, I saw that. The training video you posted on YouTube got like a bunch of views for the YouTube channel. The new channel. one, yeah, yeah, the yeah. walking one. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of people have been telling us that they've been digging the like short videos we've been doing. And Paige yeah. and I actually just had like a little bit of a meeting on Saturday um, to, to kind of talk a little bit about it. We filmed two new board and trains that got dropped off and, um, you know, their first social in the facility and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just, <clears throat> I think we're going to start trying to steer more towards doing predominantly that stuff and then sprinkling in the vlogs, mm-hmm. you know, in between it, 
but doing less vlogs, more of that kind of stuff. I just think the bite-sized pieces of information and, and singular training sessions and stuff have been have been really good. Because Paige brought up a really good point, like in that particular video, right? That was a video of that dog that spent the weekend here that we were talking about that we did the social with. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we did... I think three or four videos with him. We did the social one, which was like, hey, this is how we helped him overcome the issues from the standpoint of, of his his socialization. Yeah. We did one that was um, tightening up his commands. So working mm. through some of the obedience training and, um, you know, helping him to, to help more so helping the owner to understand how her timing with things and her communication and her markers and stuff like that played such a big role in helping him overcome some of the obedience problems she was having. Mm-hmm. And then we did one on leash walking as well. And what we did is we encompassed, like over the course of those four days, we progressed him all the way from like fixing his sloppy leash walking to getting it really good with just leash and prong to generalizing to another environment to then transitioning to the off-leash healing with the e-collar. Mm-hmm. Um, and we showed in that video the entire progression of those four days and how we kind of worked him through all of that. And uh, it was great. But anyways, one of the comments on it specifically was like, let's see you do that with a really hyped up pit bull or something like that, <laughs> right? And and I was like, it, actually, Paige said this. I, I think I thought it when I saw the comment, but she was like, I don't know, like people, like everybody thinks their dog is different, you know? So yeah. it's like what Paige liked was even though contextually, as we do these videos, there's going to be a lot of similarities of like, Leash walking. We teach leash walking in pretty much the same way with every dog that we work with, right? Mm-hmm. But but showing that same process with all sorts of different types of dogs, like your really fearful dogs, like six and seven when we did theirs, right? Like your um, just dog that's kind of sloppy on the walk like Oliver was. Like these two new boarding trains that got dropped off, we're doing it with them today after we film this podcast. Obviously, we're going to go there and Paige and I are going to film the leash walking mm-hmm. section with them because they're two really, really fucking reactive dogs, right? Yeah. And actually, these two particular dogs, they they got dropped off because their owner uh, has, uh, she broke her arm like two weeks ago because these oh, yeah. dogs pulled her down. Oh my gosh. Right. She pulled her down and, and like snapped her fucking arm in half. Oh. Right. Um, and, and they're not aggressive, yeah. right. They're just fucking out of control. Yeah. Right. And they're reactive and they're out of control and it's dangerous. And then the mom, she's watching the dogs months ago. She said that these dogs pulled her down and she broke her rib. So these dogs have oh, two broken God. bones under <laughs> their fucking belt now at this point. Jeez. But it's like, you know, this is a uh, these are two very different dogs than the last three that we've done it with, right? And then mm-hmm. we'll find a fucking really aroused pit bull to do yeah. it with, right? And and we'll just show everybody there are going to be some nuanced differences, obviously, from the standpoint of you know how much motivation we need to use, which tool we lean more heavily into, mm-hmm. um, you know, other other nuances, right, to it. Um, but it will work with any of the dogs. Yeah, it, it just will, mm-hmm. right? And um, that's really what we want to kind of keep showing people is is that, like, your dog's not different. Everybody wants to think their dog is different, but they're just yeah. not, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's good that you're showcasing this stuff again, too, because it's like, you know, like on here, we, we react to people, like, doing that stuff. So I think a lot of people just want to see you actually, like, do the stuff that we yeah. talk about on here, you know? And, and the vlog was cool to do that, but, like... 
you said sometimes like just having that not that it's short form content but it's you know a little yeah. more digestible because it's like you're focusing on that yeah that singular thing but i think the you know the vlog has its place yeah the podcast has place but i think that was kind of something we were just missing a little bit was yeah uh having having those kind of like training videos again yeah things just got a little too buried in the vlog which yeah. was was the issue with that obviously yeah, so. which you're making clips out of it and stuff too, but mm-hmm. it, I don't know. Just having like a dedicated video seems like yeah. it, it just feels good, you know? It feels good. <laughs> um, so that's new. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to kind of start getting into some of these some of these miscellaneous topics here. So again, <clears throat> what I want to do today is we're going to just highlight some specific dogs we've been working with, and I want to discuss some kind of out-of-the-box solutions we've been implementing for some of these dogs okay just kind of brainstorm that a little bit so we've had two dogs we've been working with over the last couple of weeks Mm -hmm. Um, one is a beagle one is a chihuahua right Mm. both of these dogs have quote-unquote owner slash handler aggression issues right which we talk a lot about inner household aggression issues whether it's towards other dogs in your house or whether it's towards the owners of the house, are they can be really freaking hard to work through, mm-hmm. right? And the reason for that is because um, with dogs that are aggressive towards people outside of the home or dogs outside of the home, you can manage that very easily mm-hmm. and prevent the dog from rehearsing the behavior. But when it's in the house, it gets very, very, very tricky uh, in order to do that. So okay. um, we'll talk about first and foremost with both of these dogs kind of the extent of this aggression problem that they're having. Mm -hmm. And then what we'll do is we'll talk about some of the solutions we've been implementing them. So we'll start with the beagle, right? So the beagle is like under a year old. He's pretty young, right? He just has this thing where he doesn't want his mom to touch him. That's it. (laughs) Just doesn't, right? He doesn't outwardly display aggression from the standpoint of like he's coming (laughs) over and trying to attack her or anything like that. And honestly, the extent of his aggression, I want to clarify as well with both of these dogs, it's not like he's trying to kill the owner, right? He's just like, he has just learned at a very, very young age that he can communicate boundaries with these individuals very effectively, Mm. right? So with the beagle, basically anytime this woman touches him in a way that he doesn't like, or is, you know, he resource guards his food a little bit or his toys or things like that. He just will snarl and growl. And if, you know, she were to persist with it, he would start snapping at her. And he's not breaking skin or anything, but like it's still like he's, he's jumping up, trying to bite at her. He's, he's saying, get the fuck away from it's me. It's like an aggressive right? state. Still. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely still an aggressive state, right? Um, the other dog is a chihuahua with oh, basically the same exact problem right the 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 female owner the woman uh can't touch this dog in many cases she can't she's never been able to pick the dog up before right like the dog gets very aggressive over that biting snapping stuff like that right um and i want to talk first and foremost how these behaviors are created right because both of these dogs have shown clearly that they can turn the behavior on and off Right. They can turn mm. the behavior on and off with different people in different environments and different contexts. Right. Okay. With both of them, with the husband mm-hmm. of the family, the dog is not 100 percent perfect, but borderline not an issue. 
Every okay. now and then, it'll kind of try to rehearse it towards them, mm-hmm. but it does not persist at all, right? Okay. So when I look at things like this and I ask myself the question of like, is this is this like a genetic like miswiring or is this a learned behavior? The first thing mm-hmm. I ask myself is, can the dog turn the behavior on and off, right? Yeah. In both of these cases, the dog clearly can turn it on and off because mm-hmm. it does it with one person. It doesn't do it with the other yeah, person. And then with us as new people, both of the dogs kind of tried it once or twice, yeah. very quickly realized it didn't work and then stopped doing it almost mm. completely after that. Yeah. Right. So that tells me it's a learned behavior, which means that at some point this behavior has been trained. Now, is there a genetic predisposition like component at play? Sure. Right. The one thing getting back to takeaways from uh, the conversation we had with uh, with Melanie uh, the other day, um, I would say one of the takeaways was I really liked how she articulated and she used her dogs as an example of their default behavior. And when when we say default behavior, I interpret that as kind of like how they're genetically programmed to respond to something, right? And she explained that dogs can have this default behavior of they see something new and it's either this is a threat and a a problem, Mm -hmm. right? Or default, this is new, I like it, let's explore it, Yeah. right? Both of these dogs, I would say, lean on the side of, I see something new. This is potentially a threat. Yeah. Right? And if your dog goes into new situations of this is new, this might potentially be a threat, very, very quickly, they're going to be put in positions where when they experience something new and that thing is perceived as a threat, they're going to have to find a way to handle that threat. Mm. Right? And. What are the options for handling threats? Basically, fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? We talk about that a lot. Obviously, you have freeze. Everybody talks about freeze as yeah. a component. But generally, when it's problematic, it's either fight or it's flight, mm-hmm. right? Um, with both of the, the female owners of these dogs, these dogs learned very early on that when they interact or do things to these dogs in ways that they don't like, that they could growl, snarl, and snap, and that behavior 100% of the time makes these people go away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Catch my breath for a minute. So we start working with these dogs, right? And yeah. obviously there is an obedience component at play if we need to be able to communicate with these dogs better. But th- when I look at the very, very, very first thing we have to do when we're working with a dog like this is we have to immediately take away the reinforcement behind whatever behavior it is mm-hmm. that they're exhibiting, right? Yeah. And let's look at handler aggression from the standpoint of setting boundaries when the person does something that they don't like. What is the reinforcement behind that behavior? <laughs> the reinforcement behind it? Is what it is a go away? Rein- yes. Right. Yeah. The human stops. Yeah, the human stops. goes away. Now, this is so counterintuitive to what a lot of people would think, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people would think when my dog is uncomfortable with something, I, I should stop. Yeah. I should leave them alone, yeah. right? But the problem is if we're constantly doing that in situations where they're telling us to stop doing normal day-to-day things that we need to do all the time, mm-hmm. handle them, put collars yeah. on them, right? Yeah. Any of those types of things, you are very, very quickly going to create a monster that 
controls every aspect of what you do on a day-to-day basis in the home, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we need to do? Well, I'll use both dogs as an example. We start doing those normal day-to-day things. When Mm -hmm. they rehearse the behavior, we don't stop. Yeah. And then simultaneously, we teach alternative ways for them to communicate when they're uncomfortable with things. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the beagle first and some of the things that we did. Okay. So the beagle, what we did was we did the thing that would get this dog to growl. In this case, it literally was if you sit on the floor and you start petting him, he would start snarling at you. Right. That was just like his behavior. He just yeah. said, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to snarl at you. Yeah. If you persist, I'm going to jump up and try to snap at you. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So we sat on the floor and I did this first with him. Right. I sat on the floor. I started petting him. He started rehearsing the behavior. And I sat there and I kept petting him. Mm-hmm. And I kept petting him. And I kept petting him. And I kept patting him. <clears throat> and maybe seven, eight, nine minutes later of him snarling, snapping, stuff like that, what happened, and, and I did a lot of repetitions of this, is one of two things would happen. One of three things would happen, right? He would either persist and try to jump up and snap at me, mm-hmm. which at that point I gave a correction for that specific behavior. I didn't yeah. correct for the growling and the snarling because okay. he was thinking about making a mistake, mm-hmm. but he hadn't made the mistake yet. Yeah. He was trying to be intimidating, but by just reinf- or removing the reinforcement behind it, obviously, um, you know, we were showing him that it wasn't working yeah. and, and kind of calling his bluff. Like, are you going to do something with this yeah. or are you not going to do Doing something with what? this? And obviously <laughs> to clarify with everybody, you know, if you're working with a dog, there's a lot of intensity behind it. You would put safety protocols in place for this, yeah. right? Things like <laughs> muzzles or stuff like that. Or I'll talk about the safety protocols we used in the case of the Chihuahua. Okay. So, so if he jumped up and tried to snap, we gave him a big correction for that. Yeah. But outside of that, I just said, "Sorry, dude, this behavior you're used to working is not uh, working anymore." Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so that was thing number one that he did. Thing number two that he did was, in many cases. I did it, did it, did it. And then after five minutes or so, he was like, all right, well, this isn't working. And he kind of just put his head down and just, just laid there. Yeah. And just said, all right, fine. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. so he kind of just gave into it, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because obviously there's nothing inherently aversive about, you know, being pet, right? Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's something else we talked about, you know, the other time is a lot of times it's the anticipation of something bad happening, right, is what creates yeah. a lot of these types of problems. So in his case, in some of the cases, he would just, lay down and he was like all right fine you know the growling isn't working whatever i might as well just sit here and accept this or in some cases maybe even thought all right i guess this isn't so bad (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and then thing number three that he did was we would pet him interact with him interact with him he'd growl 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 and then what he would do is he would actually get up and walk away right bingo right so in those cases the instruction was if he gets up and walks away we then stop Right. So the reinforcement behind the behavior is us stopping. So we are reinforcing an alternative response. So instead Mm -hmm. of reinforcing the growling and the snarling and the intimidation, we're reinforcing avoidance. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is fantastic. That's obviously what we want. So that's thing number one we did to start working through this. Right. With this particular dog. And we'll talk about with that particular dog. A lot of other issues that were happening in the house, obviously, that were contributing to him being in this kind of puffed up fucking Mm -hmm. macho state of mind right so with the chihuahua exact same process right the Mm -hmm. only difference was that dude was biting a little bit harder (laughs) so we put in place some safety protocols okay what do we do we used um we have these long like welding bite gloves right you guys have probably seen in some of my videos so we just put those on and we did the exact same process right pat him pat him hang out with him right he was going ham 
all right, like snarling, biting at the fingers, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And we just said, dude, like, I'm not doing anything to you, right? Mm-hmm. You got to just sit here and just just tolerate this, right? Um, did that, did that, did that. Progressed to picking up the dog, right? Because mm-hmm. not that I say you should pick up your dogs all the time, but with little dogs, there are many cases where you have to be able to pick them up to, yeah. to manage them or put them into a kennel or lift them onto like a high surface or into a car or something like that. Yeah. So that is a necessity we had to get past with the dog. And that one I actually have a video of, I'll show you that I okay. think is interesting to show the progression of re- removing the reinforcement behind some of these behaviors, mm-hmm. right? So let me pull this video up real quick. Where are you? <laughs> Here it is. Is this it? So look at this little guy. This is the woman doing it. The one that... Oh, yeah. You see, obviously, snarling, biting at the gloves. (laughs) (laughs) Once you're doing better with this, this is going to make you a movie star, buddy. (laughs) But you see how, right? So he tried the behavior one time. Yep. Didn't work. And I was like, wait a minute. Yep. (laughs) This is different. (laughs) Right? And watch. She does it three more times. Two or three more times here. So watch the second one. So that first one, very intense, obviously. Yeah. Now watch this next one here. So significantly less intense. Yeah, way quicker. Yeah. The trauma is so real. Huh. And then we got one more you'll see. It's not bad up here. <laughs> now he's falling asleep. Oh, yeah, his eyes are closed. <laughs> All right, one more, buddy. Hardly anything. Yeah. Right? Dang. So, I don't want to make it seem like this is a super quick process because it's Mm. absolutely not. No. Right? We're repatterning in these states of mind where, like, this dog, I believe, is, like, six, if I'm not mistaken, the chihuahua. Like, this dude has been rehearsing this behavior for fucking ever. Yeah. Right? So, obviously, he's going to try to persist with that behavior. And another thing is there's something in dog training science called, uh, called an extinction burst. Which basically means that as you're removing the reinforcement behind certain behaviors, you're trying to stop something, Mm -hmm. that it's not like, I don't know if like linear is the correct word. It doesn't just go from like here to like, and then it's gone, right? It'll start tapering off. And then when the dog starts seeing, wait a minute, this behavior isn't working anymore, Mm. they'll intensify that behavior Mm. because they're used to it working, right? They're like, this usually works, so I must need to try harder in order to stop it, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times you'll see extinction bursts, and you'll kind of see it come in peaks and valleys like that before it finally tapers off completely. But... That video I really liked because I think that shows firsthand exactly how the process works in a lot of times of them simply realizing the behavior doesn't work. And it's like, I think sometimes we want these really quick, easy solutions for stuff like that of like, like, okay, well, I just correct it one time and it just stops, right? But that's not the case. And I'm not saying corrections are wrong to implement in some of those cases. Mm -hmm. And in sometimes what we'll find is that we'll do this process of removing the reinforcement for a while, Mm -hmm. but the behavior in and of itself is 
it becomes habitual where they're yeah. not even doing it necessarily because of the reinforcement they gain of the person going away. They're yeah. doing it because that habit that they've created of doing it is mm. just reinforcing in and of itself, right? Yeah. So sometimes when the behavior issues hit that point, you do need to add in punishment in order to suppress the remainder of it. But if we're only doing the punishment side of things and we're not solving what caused the problem in the first place, which mm -hmm. is every time these dogs do something like this, we stop, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. Right? For sure. And I think that's really important to realize where it's like this behavior took three years to create mm -hmm. and become that strong of a habit. It's going to take a little bit of time to remove some of that in the dog's mind. Yeah. Right? Um and both of these dogs are still on the journey. We're not like past it with either of them, yeah, yeah, right? We're yeah, still yeah. working through it. And it's only been a couple of weeks now at this point. Yeah. Uh, in, in that Chihuahua's case, I think it's been, I just had their second session, right? So mm -hmm. very, very early in the process. That video was from session number one. Um, yeah. And I actually just saw them for their second session two days ago, Saturday, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, and uh, the Beagle is, I think, I think two weeks into things as well, two or three weeks into things as well. Yeah. Right. So, so they still got the journey to go and we're still going to be working through this, but I just thought it was really interesting that we had both of them in at the same time with the yeah. same type of behavior to be able to showcase some of this process mm -hmm. of working through these kinds of things. Yeah. Because again, handle or aggression issues. It's like, it, it's like, it's, it can be so challenging to work through because there's no amount of training we're going to do that's going to make it easier for the owner. The owner needs to step up to the plate and show the dog, I'm not scared of you anymore. Yeah. Right? Because being scared of the dog is what created those problems. Right? Yeah, 100%. So, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, I, <clears throat> I was going to just ask, because um, I think it, it'd be fun to ask, but um, do you feel like, since, you know, because it's like a chihuahua, yeah. for example. Do you feel like genetic predispositions have anything to do with how they have that kind of leaning toward the, oh, it's new, I'm going to fight it? Ask that again. Like, <clears throat> like you know how we were talking about, like, like Dr. Melanie was talking about, like, they either like, yes. something's new, oh, it's good, something's new, oh, I'm kind of afraid of it. Do you feel like, the, um, like especially like with the Chihuahua, I guess, is there like any kind of genetic predispositions that would make it lean to like, because, you know, Chihuahuas have that like no, notoriety that they kind of like fight. A little tenacity. Yeah, a little tenacity. Do you feel like that, like a predisposition like of its breed is anything that causes that? I think breed plays a role in things from the standpoint of when dogs are designed to behave a certain way. Like, like, and we're talking like genetically, like we, we are hand selecting dogs that are really good at certain <clears throat> things because of yeah. their genes. Um, those things can be, uh, misplaced in the wrong areas. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, let's just take a beagle, right? Mm -hmm. A beagle obviously is bred for hunting. Yeah. Right. Specifically, they have a really good scent, right? They're very determined, right? A lot of your hunting dogs need to be very sound and stable and willing to fight through some adversity mm -hmm. while they're out hunting, yeah. right? Uh, not scared off very easily, right? Yeah. Um, if you have a dog that has all of those traits, right, of being a determined independent worker, mm -hmm. right? And they're a little bit disposed to also kind of seeing new things as a threat, 
yeah. all of that determination and independence and stuff like that can get can get shifted into the wrong thing, which is my mm. owner's a threat, and I need to be yeah. very determined and independent of keeping her away from me when I feel she's a threat, mm-hmm. right? So that can make your job 10 times harder, right? Yeah. Chihuahuas, I actually don't know exactly what chihuahuas are bred for. <laughs> I don't either. Let's look it up. <laughs> Gonna figure it out. Um, I, uh, my assumption is maybe some type of hunting, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Let's I wonder what kind of hunting you would do. Let's see. What are chihuahuas bred for? Chihuahuas life expectancy, 12 to 20 years. <laughs> Jesus. Insane. <laughs> All right. Anything? Hold on. Okay. Well, this is very interesting. Oh. Well, hold on. Hard to say. I'm I'm seeing a lot of different things like yeah. like what are chihuahuas bred for hunting? It says for a millennia, chihuahuas hunted rats, and today they'll charge after the occasional bird and squirrel, but I don't think they're necessarily bred for that. Uh, I mean, it's a possibility. The Toltecs and Maya civilizations bred them. Hmm. Maybe keep rodents out of their grain stores or something. I don't know. Dated origins. <clears throat> Says they are very, very old. There's no written record <laughs> of when on why the, they were bred. Yeah, or when it came to be, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Pest control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Companionship and pest control. That makes sense. Charles are bred for. Seems they have served a number of purposes throughout history. While historical evidence doesn't indicate their primary function in ancient times as a pest controlling breed, Chihuahuas do possess a lot of tenacity and strong prey drive. As the breed yeah. became popular in North America, this quality helped them grow in popularity as household pest control. So, yeah. so it sounds like I mean, some of the other things that I was reading here were were basically saying that um, the uh, the the they were they were like almost like a like an idol for yeah. you know a lot of these ancient civilizations and stuff like that and they probably just bred them with that tenacity in them. Yeah. So whatever. So so getting back to your original question like yeah so so let's use dachshunds as an example that are bred to like burrow into holes and kill yeah. fucking animals right <laughs> yeah. like let's say chihuahuas are like 75% like that also yeah obviously when you have a dog that has that tenacity and that intent on grabbing shaking mm-hmm. and killing things right yeah. if they're predisposed to also see things as threats they're going to take those skills that are bred into them and use those skills that they have bred into them in order to make those threats go away yeah right so it absolutely plays a role in it yeah and i was i was gonna ask too you know especially like any of these kind of breeds like you're you're talking about that have this tenacity pit bulls whatever Mm -hmm. that had these reasonings to be bred do you feel like because they have that background like you know when you when they get their way when they show that aggressiveness Mm -hmm. or whatever and they get their way do you feel like it it just escalates so much quicker for them because they they kind of have that mentality yeah you know like other than like maybe like a a lab you know 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's just it's the skills that they ha- that they're designed for. Yeah, right. Like and, that's and, what they do. Yeah. So when they feel like they get that little leeway, they kind of just yeah. push it more and more. Yeah. I mean, every dog is going to be motivated differently for by sure. different things, right? Sure. So the act of 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 acting aggressively towards yeah. something for a dog like that probably, and this is me speculating right now, yeah. right? Probably jacks up their freaking adrenaline like through mm-hmm. the roof and they get that dopamine rush. I'm like, wow, that felt really good that <laughs> yeah, I used exactly. this intensity towards something and yeah. it worked. And and yeah, for some dogs, I think that can compound so fucking quick, mm-hmm. you know, that it becomes a serious problem. Yeah. And that's again, the case with, with both of these dogs. So, um, you know, it's. I, I just thought it was really interesting because one of the things I had written down here was like just solutions that don't involve correction, right? Yeah. I think we too often will get into the into the mindset of every behavioral issue needs to be corrected away, mm-hmm. where, again, looking at a lot of the conversations against balanced dog training is that we don't look at the root cause of things, mm-hmm. where the root cause of a lot of these things is how it was created in the first place. So you got to yeah. be able to reverse engineer where the behavioral issue came from, stop that at its source, so mm-hmm. we at least ensure it's not getting any worse, yeah. right? Like this beagle, for example, like I said, we're a couple weeks into working with him, and basically the status update on him is he's still growling at the owner, right? Mm-hmm. It is not stopped. Like I yeah. said, it's only been a couple weeks mm-hmm. that we've been working on this for, but the dog now no longer is biting, right? So yeah. the intensifying it to the bite has basically gone completely away, right? Mm-hmm. And he's walking away from the situation or calming down much more rapidly than he ever has in the past, right? And we basically set up some ground rules with both of these dogs where it's like, you have to make sure that if you are going to interact with this dog, that if he displays any form of that aggression, that you are absolutely in a position to sit there as long as you need to until the behavior stops. Yeah. Plain and simple, yeah. right? That is something that um, that that has to be ensured. And if we can ensure that this dog no longer achieves any sort of self-reinforcing wins for this behavior, mm-hmm. at least at a bare minimum, we could ensure that it does not get any worse. Yeah right? Mm -hmm. That it plateaus off where it is. And then from there, if we don't continue to see a decline and we, and we don't continue to see the extinction burst anymore where it intensifies Mm -hmm. and it just kind of sits at this baseline. If he does it for three minutes, then walks away. And that's kind of where we plateau off with, then we could jump in and we could use corrections to get it the rest of the way there. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what your, your formula or your recipe for a lot of this kind of stuff needs to look like. And I always try to start with, let's see how much we can get away with, with the dog just figuring it out on their own without us needing to suppress it because you're going to have longer term results from that, Yeah, you know? And on top of that, the owner then understands how to ensure that they never run into that situation again because they're not accidentally communicating to the dog, hey, you know, this is what I actually want you to do, Mm -hmm. right? So, so I think that was really interesting. And then on top of that, you have all of the other factors in the home that cause the dog to feel like, um, cause the dog to feel like, you know, like I I should be, you know, being an asshole in the house basically. Mm. Right. And it's so funny, like ironically, like as we're filming this podcast, (laughs) I was actually texting that Beagle's owner this morning. So she has a, she has a sport dog collar, which listen, we're, we're pretty diehard e-collar technologies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
e-collar users yeah. um, or dog try. I like dog try also, but I like e-collar tech the best. But we'll use like sport dog is a high quality e-collar and, mm. and we'll use it. And, and, you know, with our programs, like if you provide the e-collar, we take some money off of it. So if people have invested, you know, a couple hundred dollars into an e-collar, we try to help them out and see if we could use that one. Yeah. But she has a sport dog e-collar and, you know, it's working fine. It's, it's not an issue, but like even at like max levels on the sport dog e-collar, um, the, uh, the dog was just not quite as responsive to it as mm. I would have expected. You know, he's, really? he cares about it and it yeah. works, but there were a couple situations where we had this collar like maxed out on the walk <laughs> and he was like sniffing something using yeah. his fucking beagle nose. And you hit that <laughs> button and he was like, no, I'm sniffing this. <laughs> So I was a little surprised and like taken aback. I was like, that's, yeah, that's interesting. You know, like we don't very, very frequently get dogs that like really blow off the e-collar. Right. Yeah. So I started looking into it and, uh, this is, this is me. This is going to show you guys how uneducated I am on sport dog collars. Cause anybody that uses them probably knows this as very common knowledge, but this is for anybody that doesn't use them <laughs> very often and maybe stumbles upon one or two. Yeah. So most of the sport dog e-collars have your levels in which you could use. So it's got seven levels on the dial and then it's got a low, medium, high Mm. button. So basically I think it's 21 individual levels that you have on it. But then on top of those 21 different levels, the collar itself has a function similar to on like a uh, 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 in-ground fence, right? Where you could make the range of those 21 levels a low, a medium, or a high intensity, Mm. right? So... So we were, we were like, what the hell? Like, why is this dog so not responsive to it? So I asked Michelle, because Michelle used to work at Sit Means Sit, yeah. and they use exclusively sport dog collars there. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's probably, like, sport dog collars, like, run pretty hot. Like, you know, it's probably just <laughs> set at one of the lower settings. I was like, oh. I was like, well, how do I change that? <laughs> so she, she talked me through it, yeah, right? So yeah. then I, I got back in touch with the owner, and we found out, actually, yeah, his was set at the lowest setting on it. So Heard. even at max level... It's like, like no. probably a third of what it, you know, hypothetically uh, would be in those the higher <laughs> tiers, right? But whatever. So I was yeah. texting her about that this morning, um, and and she, you know, she sent me an update on on some of the uh, Jesus Christ on some of the other things that we've been kind of working at. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the other things that have been, you know, issues is one he resource guards stuff, mm-hmm. right? Toys and food specifically, right? Two, he's horrible about trying to get up on the counter and jumping for things that he doesn't want, uh, right? And three, his walk was really sloppy. So we'll break down then. You know, when I when I did their last lesson, I went to the house and obviously our first lesson, we were focused on removing the reinforcement behind the, the, the growling and stuff like that. But now we're at a place where it's like, okay, now we need to start chipping away at these other things to keep taking his head and bringing it down a few notches, taking yeah. the brain and bringing it down a couple notches and being more respectful over her. So, so like the the resource guarding of toys, right? Mm. There was no concrete routine for how we how we take toys away from this dog, right? Uh. So we implemented, hey, this is how we teach a, a sound out command. This is you know how we go and actually take the object from him with the feeding, right? Like she was she was not feeding him in a in a terrible way necessarily, mm. but she was kind of doing it in an unnatural way that was still putting a lot of pressure on him. Right. right? Like she was like sitting on the floor next to him while he was eating oh, and stuff. Right. And like, yeah. you know, there wasn't really a good routine for making sure she's like claiming the bowl before she gives it to him and all that kind of stuff. So we made some adjustments for that. Yeah. Right. We got in a position where we clearly started correcting for um, the counter surfing. We were able to catch that and reduce the probability of that. Mm. And then the walks, <laughs> 
This is, and I'm absolutely not like ripping on this lady over this. Obviously, she's very wonderful, and and she's been doing all of the homework really well. But the, she, she had this thing she was doing on the walk where she's got this beagle, and then she has a uh, like a 14 year old ch- uh, not chihuahua, I don't know, some little scruffy dog, okay. whatever. And she was like, oh, you know, like like most owners do, like I want him to be able to be a dog and sniff. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have a problem with, with him sniffing as long yeah. as obviously you're structured about the in-between sniffing time, obviously. So we go out on the walk and we go for like a little walk down her street. And she had this routine where she would put him into a cum and she would try to make him walk really nicely. And then she would stop and release him to sniff every single mailbox they walked oh. by. <laughs> So I was like, she would heal him for like 15 feet and yeah. then release him, then heal him for 15 feet, then release him. <laughs> oh my God. So I was like, okay. I yeah. was like, maybe let's, let's heal him like all the way to the end of the street. Yeah. Then you could let him sniff like one, one mailbox <laughs> at the end. Because the problem was like, she was just like, she thought he was blowing her off, which he was a little bit, but like. Yeah. She was really just confusing him more than anything, I think, because it was yeah. this constant, like, go, come back, go, come back, go, come back, you know? Like, yeah. Where he's wow. just, like, constantly, like, never knowing, like, yeah. what to expect. And then you're creating these patterns of, like, every time you get near a mailbox, you're absolutely going to be able to sniff it, which makes them want to push and yeah. jump the gun on running off to sniff it. It's like, yeah. you just have to break some of those patterns. And the problem is, too, like, in addition to it confusing him, it creates more stress because then you're needing to correct him more for not healing in between. But, like, really, the reason you're needing to correct him more is because of, like, the problem you're creating by being confusing about the walk and you know the whole plan here is one reduce pushy behavior right Mm -hmm. clear pushy behavior create inhibitions for and get the dog to respect those things right two have really clear routines for the things that you need to do to ensure that you have Mm -hmm. a safe and successful way with minimal conflict Mm -hmm. to take resources to interact with the dog right yeah Uh, and make sure you're not actually reinforcing anything and Mm -hmm. then two reduce overall stress by reducing overall conflict, right? So with your training, right? If you're finding yourself needing to nag your dog with corrections all the time for your basic training, whether it's walking, whether it's downstays, bedstays, all those types of things, Mm -hmm. that's gonna keep your dog in a baseline higher level of stress, which is gonna make all those other problematic behaviors that much harder to work through. Yeah. You know? 100%. but yeah, you know, she she texted texted me with it. She said, uh, you know, he has only been corrected one time for going for his food. Um, you know, he stayed off the counters um, since I've corrected him there, and he did much much better on his walk today, which is all good to go. So, yeah. so making some headway, and it's one of those things where it's like just like like. You're playing the long game with some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? Like I said at the beginning, like these dogs both, like I guarantee you this dog is still, like since our session we had on Saturday, is still fucking growling at this lady. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But we're, we're, we've, we've, we've stopped the bleeding, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? Like we've yeah. stopped the bleeding of it's not getting any worse. And all these other areas of his life are starting to get better, which is going to make that continue to get better as well. Right. Yeah. And obviously in the Chihuahua's case, that dog is, uh, you know, obviously you saw real time, some of the progress that he's starting to make with things. So now it's just a matter of her starting to get on some of those things in the house with him. And she's now in her next session going to move to stage two stage two of things like we did with this lady um, where we're going to start looking at now in addition to stopping the bleeding and making sure that the dog is not progressing further with this aggressive behavior let's look at all the other aspects of the dog's life and start getting those things under control too yeah you know yeah but this is how we i wanted to talk about this because this is how we create 
comprehensive behavioral modification programs for owners. Yeah. Right. Is, is you have to think about every, it's everything. Right. Yeah. And just before you create that plan, you just have to stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's the best way to put it is yeah. ensure you don't progress further in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right. Whether it's your dog's aggressive towards people. Right. Maybe it might mean temporarily to stop the bleeding. We don't have the dog around new people until mm -hmm. we have a good routine for how we do it. Yeah. Right. Socialization. Same. Right. Yeah. Uh, handler aggression issues. Right. Same. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 if you could do that, then you could kind of, you could breathe for a minute, right? And you could look at one thing at a time that you start solving in the house to help the owner gain some headway with stuff. Yeah. And, you know, just change, changing the, your owner's mentality yeah. on, on, on what they do. Because I, I, I think the, a great point that you said was, you know, we, we want to combat like the issues at hand, but we never like when you're in your own home, you never really think about the little subtle thing yeah. that you're doing to create those said behaviors. So it's like those first two weeks. I mean, yeah, it's like mentally taxing for the dog, but it's also mentally taxing for your owner because they you have, have to think, think about everything you're doing. Yeah. Every single thing. So and that's like, why it's so hard. You know, that's why like, like inner house aggression issues are so hard is because you mm -hmm. got to be. Gotta be on it. Yeah. Gotta be on it. All the time. You know? Yeah. And luckily in the case of these two dogs, like I said, one, both of the owners have had the dogs for long enough that they've learned how to live around these issues. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like you know, it's like it's like whatever. Like worst case scenario, they do all the things they used to do and they know how to manage the dog really, really effectively mm -hmm. and and prevent the issue from arising, but it's it's not good, obviously. Yeah. You know? Um, but in a lot of cases, um, a lot of cases when we're dealing with, with dogs and owners that have like really serious handler aggression issues, that's where it becomes a big problem. Yeah. You know, when there's a lot higher risk, you have large, like both these dogs are small dogs, right? Yeah. And their bite force is like pretty small, right? And they're not really committed to the biting. We're like, we'll see some that it's like, like the handler aggression issue like the risk level of oh, is significantly higher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And those are the dogs where you start looking at, damn, like, do you want to be on edge all the time in your house? And <laughs> right. if you slip up, like in these dogs cases, like if they slip up, they might accidentally reinforce the behavior and they might get like bit from the standpoint of like not even breaking skin, but just like, ow, that kind of hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Where do you want the risk of, you know, this dog is acting aggressive towards you and you got to be really on it, on top of it at all times. And if you slip up, it's like the risk is like you're going to the hospital to get shit stitched up constantly. Yeah. Right. Or worse or, yeah. or things like that. It's like, yeah, you don't want that stuff's that. hard, man. Yeah. You know, so, you know that. And then I'm trying to think what else. I did a virtual consult yesterday with a client in New York City <clears throat> who I've been doing a lot of virtual consults and, and a lot of them are dogs fighting in the house, man. Oh, I'm sure. A lot of it is dogs fighting in the house. And uh, yeah, they, they have two dogs. One is like a blind and deaf dog that's like 11 years old. Oof. And the other is like a younger, like, I think he said it like a Catalua Australian Shepherd mix or some, some shit like that, right? Jeez. And same deal. They, they started getting in fights with each other in the house. And it's just like, <clears throat> you know, I have like my notes from it. Like I'm just diagnosing like all of the problems these dogs had. Like... And I've said it before, I think when we were talking about 
you know, dogs fighting in the house. Some of the podcast episodes we specifically done on it. If you have dogs fighting in the house, you can't have, or dogs that are acting aggressive towards you in the house, Mm -hmm. you cannot have behavioral issues. Yeah. You just can't, (laughs) right? And that sounds extreme, right? Mm Because everybody's like, well, every dog's a fucking individual. And like, (laughs) you know, like there's going to be some things they do that you can't control. It's like, yes, I get it, right? Like there are some things my dogs do that are annoying from like an arousal standpoint and stuff like that. But if you have big behavioral issues with your dog in the house, if your dog is still very reactive right out on a walk or in the house if your dog is completely uncontrollable when people come over your house like if your dog um you know cannot socialize with another dog without attacking them right et cetera et cetera et cetera et cetera cetera. (laughs) your probability of working through your fighting issues in the house is close to zero yeah close to zero right Mm -hmm. so it's funny like in this case like they've they've had these dogs separated because obviously the older dog Blind and deaf, right? Just got beat up pretty good like a week ago in a fight, right? So they have them totally separate for that. And I was like, we can't even think about reintroducing these dogs until we get your dog's reactivity under control, yeah. right? So that was all we talked about in the virtual class was like, this this has got, it's got to stop, right? Yeah. Because the reactivity, like let's look at the reactivity and your dog's intensity. Like one of the things, they live in Brooklyn where like mm. they have like kind of like a front, a really small front yard that's like fenced in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yep. off of like a couple steps, like from their condo or whatever it is. Yep. And um, <clears throat> like they said, if the dog is out there and a dog walks by, it goes so absolutely fucking ape shit bananas. It's yeah. like, okay, well, what would your dog be doing if that fence wasn't there? Probably running at that dog and trying to bite that dog or try to attack that dog. Yeah. Right? So, so what's your dog doing to your other dog? Your dog is taking that same exact intensity they're throwing towards the dogs on the other side of the fence and mm-hmm. it's putting it all towards your dog. Your dog, yeah. Right? So it has to stop. Like you, before you ever think about reintroducing these dogs back together, you, it has to stop. And luckily in their case, they've done some training before they have an e-collar, but they've never used it above like a 40 or something like that, you know? Yeah. So it's like, like their first instruction was just squash that fucking reactivity. Yeah. Get that so under control that your dog thinks twice about throwing that intensity towards other things. And then once you've built on some success with that, then we could think about, retransitioning mm-hmm. to getting these dogs back together with each other yeah you know um but it's just like you know if you don't get that stuff under control you're constantly going to be playing this game of one allowing the dog to rehearse this dangerous behavior mm-hmm. that in the past they've thrown that type of dangerous behavior towards your other dog yeah. right and then thing number two let's say we get the dogs back together with each other successfully and one day you run into a situation where both of the dogs are together when that dog rehearses that intensity towards another dog mm-hmm. then you run the risk of redirected aggression yeah. right where the dog is in such an intense state of mind that because it can't get to that dog it's taking it and getting to this dog mm-hmm. which is what we hear all the time i did another yeah. fucking virtual call like three weeks, two weeks, two weeks ago, something like that, we'll say, with a client out in Durango, Colorado, which was really interesting because Durango, Colorado is where Vinny came from. Really? And actually, this guy was referred (laughs) to me by Vinny's old owner. Really? Which I thought was hilarious. Wow. Hilarious. That's crazy. Shout out Diana Ray. (laughs) It's Vinny's old owner. Very, very nice Scottish lady. (laughs) In Durango? Super Scottish, man. Wow. The first time I ever talked to her. She was telling me about Vinny and, and she's talking about Vinny and, and, yeah, and the Scottish accent. Yeah, thick Scottish accent. Loved it. Whatever. <laughs> so this guy's got two dogs, right? Yeah. And one's a Malinois and one's some other fucking dog, right? Yeah. And it was the same exact situation, right? 
the dog is crazy fucking reactive on leash, Mm -hmm. right? And has started taking that energy and just tossing it onto the other dog and created this habit of the dogs getting into fights with each other anytime this dog would see a trigger. Because it's like, I know I'm not going to be able to get to that, but I know I can get to this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jeez. It's wild. It's just like, it's, it's, yeah. You got, you can't, (laughs) it sounds extreme, but like you cannot have those issues. If yeah. you want to successfully have two dogs, you cannot have those issues. And if you think no. your dogs are good currently, but you have those issues, psh, just a matter of time. Here's another one. Now everything's coming to me, right? <laughs> okay, so I was doing a, an in-home lesson in Detroit like a month ago. Okay. Right? Long story, whatever. Client in Detroit. I was out working with them for the day. And... um I'm out there and we're working, walking and we're walking around their neighborhood and there's fucking dogs everywhere in this neighborhood. Yeah. And all of them have like the, the chain link gated backyards, of you course, know, where yeah. you get the dog can see on one side of the house and the other side of the yeah. house. Right. And there were three houses that we walked by that the dogs, there were two dogs loose in the backyard. There's three houses within yeah. like four blocks. Yeah. Right. That we walked by the house. These dogs went so ape shit fucking bananas at us walking by the house mm. that the one in particular, like a dog fight kind of started with yeah. these two dogs in the backyard. Yeah. Right. Like, like, and I'm not talking just like a little, like I'm talking like they turned at each other and for a minute we're fucking going at each other. Right. And this happened at three houses. The yeah. one was the most intense, but it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like the owner was there because we walked by the house later and the dogs were, were fucking inside of the house. But yeah. like, I don't know how you as an owner cannot hear that happening outside and just think, oh, they'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Like, no, like those dogs will kill each other at some point. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, like you will have a dead dog at some point because of shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but the dogs are good together. Oh, yeah. right? They would never do that to each other. But it's like you put them in that position enough times, and you're not mindful enough of their other behavioral issues. That intensity is going to get thrown to the other dog, and then you're going to have a serious problem on your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially too, like your your client. You said Brooklyn. Was it the virtual call? Yeah, yeah Brooklyn. Yeah, 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 Brooklyn. Like, I mean, in a large city like that, yeah. where. It, I, there's like nowhere to go. It's like your house or you're they on just the moved lot. there from Florida too. Six months ago, they moved there from Florida. Oh God! So that's why things have like really perpetuated yeah, since they've been there. Sure. It's just such a different environment. Yeah, there's there's like no there's no escaping. So yeah. it's like you have to figure that out like immediately, like you said. Or mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably what it was. It was just these two dogs had not nowhere to yeah. like put that those maybe things that didn't matter in Florida, but now it's like they're just stuck by each other. Yeah. So that's, that's crazy. It just can be such a mess, man. So, so go back. What? I don't remember what episode number it was, but there was a podcast episode we did that we titled get it under control. Yeah. Remember that one? I kind of went fucking off on it a little bit. And I was talking about this dog Zay that we had coming. It was a pit bull, right? That was crazy fucking reactive, right? Mm -hmm. Redirecting on owners, shit like that, right? Like redirecting on the other dog in the house. They had four dogs and the one he couldn't be around because they had a problem with each other, right? Yeah, I remember I just talked about like you just have to you you just have to get the behavior of the fuck under control. Mm. It has to stop now, yeah. right? Not tomorrow, now, right? Yeah. And um, you know, it's funny. I I still talk to that owner 
right? Yeah. I still get updates from them. I, I got one somewhat recently. Let me pull it up here. Really? <clears throat> still killing it? Yeah, here we go. Still crushing it, man. Here we go. Yeah, November was the last time I talked to them. And she just said, yeah. Yeah, she, she had to take them to the vet for something. Yeah, this this was just the update, right? So so she said, I took Zay to the vet for the first time since training, and he did great. Did a downstay in the lobby the entire time without any issues with people, dog and cat distraction. Got pets from the vet and tech. I muzzled him for the exam. He had a tiny bit of growling with the second ear swab, but was fine otherwise. They were very impressed with his progress and said they love you guys. And as you could see, Chez and Zay are getting along with no issues. They're napping and playing together. Yet again, we can't thank you enough. And then they sent me like these pictures, right? This is Chesney. This is a dog he would go after. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're just fucking chilling with each other, right? Nice. And like they hit that point because they sco- like his issues with the other dogs were not because he was dog aggressive, yeah. right? He was just stupidly reactive and high strung at all times, mm-hmm. all times. His base level stress was so fucking high because he got himself into these adrenalized, intense states of mind. And he just learned that he could turn that energy back on his owners, back on the other dog in the house. Mm-hmm. And there was no harmony because of it. And because we squashed all those other behavioral issues, yeah. the issues of them fighting with each other went away. Yep. We never had to address that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just figured out how to manage his own yeah. feelings or whatever you want to call it. Learn to think, yeah. you yeah. know? Like when your dog's acting like that, they're not fucking thinking. No, they're just reacting. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, kind of all over the place, but... No, I think it was a great conversation. Big takeaways from today for everybody. I want to be one... When you're creating a behavioral modification plan, you have to start first and foremost with stopping the bleeding and making sure you're not making the issue worse, whether it's by making sure the dog can't rehearse the behavior or that you have removed the reinforcement behind the behavior. One of the two, Mm -hmm. right? Thing number two is going to be then looking at all of the other issues that you're having and making sure one at a time they go away. You cannot be okay with, I just manage it really well. Yeah. It has to go away. Yep. Right? Uh, and then thing number three is with a lot of these dogs, if it took you a long time to get there, it's going to kind of take a long time to reverse some of it from the standpoint mm. of some of these handler aggression issues of the dog becoming really comfortable with things or any of that. That doesn't mean that reactivity and stuff needs to take a long time to stop. That stuff you could get under control, excuse me, and fucking squash, mm-hmm. right? But from the standpoint of some of these other things, right, um, some of it is going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. Right? I and mean, I think I think those are going to be the bit, the biggest thing. Uh, and, then, and then thing number four is... There's a lot of behavioral issues out there that can be stopped by just looking at how it was created in the first place and mm-hmm. reversing that. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like you said, your, you know, your dog may have been rehearsing the same thing for years. So it's like, yeah. don't get discouraged if it takes a yeah. couple months to really start a new path, you know? Truth. So. That's what I got for you guys. I liked it. I think they will too. Hopefully. If you guys have any <laughs> questions on any of it, let us know, obviously. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoy troubleshooting and problem solving interesting cases. Mm-hmm. Like these two dogs, the Chihuahua and the Beagle, 
are interesting cases, yeah. right? Because they're not, yep. they're a little outside of the norm of the things that you might think you need to do to stop certain things, yep. right? Um, so, you know, as, uh, as you guys experience interesting cases, fill us in. Yeah. Let us know what you've done to help, uh, help dogs like this in the past, you know? Or, or if you have any questions further as far as the thought process of working through a lot of these things, feel free to reach out about it, you know? I just mm-hmm. uh, keep the communication open. Leave us a comment. Leave us a comment. <laughs> Tell us about the most interesting case you've ever worked. There it is. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. See, See you next time.